Welcome to Connecting with Dr. Kim Swales. Relationships are probably where we spend the most time and the most energy in our lives. They can be the sources of our greatest joy, but they can also cause us the deepest pain and frustration. This podcast is about helping you connect a little bit better every day in your relationships. Welcome to episode 50 of Connecting with Dr. Kim Swales. My guest today is Carly Reardon. Carly was on episode 7 in season 1 of Connecting with Dr. Kim Swales, and it is the most listened to episode. So if you want to learn more about her and what we talked about last year, you can go back and listen to episode 7. Carly is here today. She is the voice behind Carly, a life and style blog. She started her blog as a creative outlet as a freshman at Georgetown University in 2008, and she shares everything from her favorite outfits to the latest books she's read. Carly resides in New Jersey with her husband, son, and two pups. Her new book, which we're going to talk about today, is called Business Minded, A Guide to Setting Up Your Mind, Body, and Business for Success. It is available for pre-order now and will be in bookstores soon. And it is such a good book and has a workbook slash journaling component to it. Um, I'd highly recommend it for anybody who has a business or is thinking about a business or has an entrepreneurial spirit. It is just really fabulous. So welcome, Carly. I'm so excited to have you here today again. So you were on the podcast a year ago, and you had just gotten married, and now you have a new book out. So we're going to talk about that. But before we get started talking about the book, can you just give us a brief life update? Because a lot's changed in a year. Yeah, I was going to say, wow, like a lot has changed in a year. I mean, this time last year, we had just gotten married. And then pretty much right after that, I feel like life hit the fast track. And I signed the book deal. And then shortly, very shortly after that, we found out we were pregnant. And um, we were so grateful everything was went smoothly. And I welcomed my son Jack into the world on in August, just two months ago. It's crazy. Wow. So he's yeah. a newborn. So how are you adjusting to motherhood? It's funny, I feel like the baby part is comes so naturally to me, which I was nervous about. I kind of, I've spent a lot of time around babies, but they're Mm -hmm. never, they've never been mine. Mm -hmm. Um, So I did a lot of babysitting and, but you know, when you babysit, you end up handing off the baby and then you go about your life. So I was, I felt good going into it, but I didn't know how it was going to be. But it's been amazing. Like I feel almost like I romanticize it, but that's truly how I feel. Like it's not easy and there's definitely difficult moments, but it's been like better than I could have imagined. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as you're talking, I'm sitting here thinking like a lot of this does relate to the second part of your book, which we'll get into in a minute, but taking care of yourself. And I know you've publicly talked about your anxiety. Yes. And I know anytime becoming a new mother, you worry about postpartum anxiety or just the unknown. And I think that's the biggest part of anxiety is not being able to control the future and not knowing. So how has that, have you incorporated some of those 
wellness things from your book and applying them to new motherhood? I mean, I'm so glad a big part of that chapter, that section of the book is like putting in the work so that when things get hard, you have those skills. It's so much easier to prepare for something when it's not challenging than to have to feel like you need to learn all these, you know, new things when the pressure is on in the moment. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like I've, you know, running a business, I actually feel like I've had to learn how to delegate and had to learn how to multitask and do all mm-hmm. these things that weirdly apply to motherhood in the, in a different sense, but mm-hmm. kind of the same idea. And I worked um, because I was so nervous knowing my own history with mental health, especially with like big life changes. Um, and I can't think of a bigger life change in like motherhood mm-hmm. in every sense. So I had worked pretty closely with a therapist, which I, I highly recommend, even if you mm-hmm. don't suffer from anxiety, like it really helped me mentally prepare for the unknown. Yeah. And I'm so glad I did. And it helps you kind of manage expectations and normalize all the yeah. feelings that you're having around any big change in your life. Yes. And one of the biggest things that helped me was even with my closest friends and, you know, friends and family, it's such a small pool of people who are giving you like their experiences. Whereas when I'm talking to the, my, the Mm -hmm. therapist and I'm saying, this is what I'm experiencing. And she only works with mothers and transitions Mm -hmm. and she can kind of ease me off being like, "Ah, you are not the exception. This is the rule. Like it's totally Mm -hmm. normal. And in my head, I was like, Oh my God, like I'm the only one who feels like this way or only person experiencing that. And to have just someone from externally being like, no, 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 everyone goes through this. It made me feel so much better. I'm so glad you shared that Carly, because just yesterday I was doing a zoom session with somebody and I shared like that sentiment. You're not alone. I talk to people all day and so many people. So it was mom thing too. So many moms share that with me. And I never know if that brings my clients comfort. I mean, I do because they tell me it does, but it's, it's good to have that validated. It does for me. Like I think there's, I mean, it's a very Brene Brown thing to say, but I think there is a lot of like shame of feeling, Oh, my experience isn't like everyone else's, or I'm the only one going through this, or like, I'm embarrassed that I feel this way, or just like that anxiety of not having, especially if it's something that is difficult to talk about, people aren't talking about it. And to have that affirmation of being like, no, 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 this is totally normal. It's going to pass. Like, don't feel like you're alone here. Even if no one's talking about it, other people are experiencing it. Yeah. Well, that's so good. Well, let's talk about your book. Your new book is called Business Minded, A Guide to Setting Up Your Mind, Body, and Business for Success. Congratulations. I know it was a lot of work to write. So will you tell me what prompted you to write this book? So, you know, it's funny. I feel like this idea for the book has been in the back of my mind since I started college. And Mm -hmm. we talked, I think in the the last time I was on Mm -hmm. your show about how my transition to college was very difficult. Mm -hmm. And a big part of that was that I went from, you know, a traditional normal public school where you take eight classes every year and you learn the fundamentals and you're well-rounded. And then I jumped into a business school environment where I, sort of knew the language, but it really felt like I was learning how to speak a different coded language. And there was a lot of jargon and I had never taken an accounting class in high school. Whereas my accounting or my 
economics classes, I had taken a class in economics in high school. Mm -hmm. So those words felt normal. But then jumping into business school, I just felt so out of my league and it felt so confusing and so complicated. And by the end of the four years, I looked back and I thought, I don't actually think this is as complicated as people think, but that fear or that assumption that things are complicated, I think prevents a lot of people from thinking that they can start a business. Mm. And I wanted to demystify that. Um, And originally I had thought about doing like a children's book for kind of like an American girl demographic, Mm -hmm. like that Mm -hmm. fifth, sixth grade you know, how can you start a business when you're in fifth grade? And I think Mm -hmm. any fifth grader really can. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'd gotten kind of lucky. I mean, I'm, I will say I'm in a privileged position as an influencer and having a big demographic Mm -hmm. locked in audience. It's an easier pitch to publishers just because they're worried about numbers. Yeah. If you're saying, oh, I have this many followers, it's an easier pitch. And I pitched three different ideas for a book. One was this like business book idea um, that was based on this PDF I'd written after going to a creative camp where women had incredible business ideas and they were running businesses and they had lacked confidence Mm -hmm. and didn't feel like they were going to ever be as successful as they could be, or they didn't feel like they could be successful at all because they didn't, they're not numbers people, they're creative people. And I, my whole thing was like, no, you can do this. So I'd written a PDF that I sent after the camp. And I sent that PDF to the publishers. And then I'd also pitched the children's book idea, which was kind of like a narrative story mixed with the workbook. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another book idea. And they ended up loving the children's book mixed with the PDF. Mm. And that's kind of how we got to it, which it's funny to me that I had, ha- in my mind, they were two completely separate ideas mm-hmm. and it kind of needed like an outside person to be like, well, no, like everyone can benefit from this like workbook idea. And, but what you had written in the PDF, which was all about taking care of yourself and being a good business mm-hmm. leader, how could those two work together? And so, it, and it, it really fun. is very pragmatic and I can see, I let, I love that there's a workbook format to it. Um, I love that you bring in people that are doing it. And you know what, Carly, I never thought of myself. You're going to laugh and my listeners are probably going to laugh, but reading it, I learned a lot by the way, and some mistakes, like I got to get my legal stuff. <laughs> I mean, I've made mistakes too. A lot of it was it, like, yeah. oh, these are things I did not do that I should have done. Yeah. But I, it's almost like I forget that I have my own business. I've run my own private practice yeah. and I have my own business, but reading this, I was like, oh yeah, I should do that. Oh yeah, I need to do that. Like I hadn't ever really thought of myself as a business owner and probably because of what you said, I don't lack confidence in what I do. And I think that's pretty obvious with my work and my clients and my podcast and my yeah. writing, but I definitely lack business confidence because I didn't go to business school and I'm not good with numbers. And your book, you need to go to business school and have an MBA to run a business. And it's like, you don't need to be running a multi-million dollar company with 600 employees across the country to run a business. Mm -hmm. My mom, who's, you know, making cake pops, which I talk about her in the book. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if she, she keeps it a hobby, but that could be a business. What I do is a business. What you do is a business. And I think people think like there's a a box in our heads of how we picture and envision businesses. And one thing that I talked about at the um, 
the creative camp that I had gone to was, you know, people think of like Uber as being this super successful business. And, you know, they have all these people, everyone has it downloaded on their phone. They're not making money. Mm. You know, they're actually operating at a loss to like try to gain traction and they're fundraising. No, that's still a business. That's, that is their strategy. But like, someone who has a web, you know, an Instagram account where they're selling antiques that they're finding and reselling them. They're making more money than Uber. It's a Mm -hmm. one man, one woman show. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think just giving yourself that confidence of like, well, no, like I don't need to be an Uber. And in fact, I'm, I'm actually have a better bottom line than they do. Right. And you tell such, there's great stories. I love how you interview all women-owned businesses in the book, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. And and they're pretty medium-sized. To Some of them are bigger. You say how many employees each business yeah. has. And, and they all sort of link to, I guess, that section or that chapter, whether it's accounting, legal issues, um, sleep, movement. And I really loved that because you kind of go through the advice and then you give this practical person that's out there doing it and kind of how they incorporated, you know, the legal part or the relationship part. Yeah. And, you know, it was funny when I was writing it. So a big part of this is that I wrote the majority of the book while I was in the first trimester of my pregnancy and I was Mm. extremely ill and it was dark and it was a pandemic and vaccines hadn't come out yet. It was a a very tough time. Yeah. I wasn't sure like if what I was doing even was going to make sense. I was just kind of writing and my philosophy was if I have to go back and redo it, I'll redo it, but let me just write. Um, and I didn't end up interviewing people until after I'd written the book. Mm. So I'd written, you know, my sections and then went back and interviewed everyone. And it was so fascinating to me how every single person that I talked to could have answered questions for any section of the book. And I tried to make it so that, you know, they were writing about stuff, something that was really close to them and like close mm-hmm. to their heart. But so many times when you're, I was interviewing, it was like, oh man, we could have really gone into this chapter mm-hmm. or we really could have done it with this chapter, which was reassuring as a writer of saying like, oh yeah, th- these business co- concepts apply to everyone. It doesn't matter what yeah. industry, it doesn't matter what size, doesn't matter, you know, how long you've been doing this. And I felt reassured. But then also I, w- I was learning so much from the entrepreneurs. And I thought, oh, this is so great that, you know, they're able to share their advice and their feedback and people who are doing it and walking the walk. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I found it very inspiring, very encouraging. And you know this because you and I talk outside of the podcast. Sometimes my middle son is an entrepreneur. And I just in reading these other people's stories, I just kept thinking of him and, you know, other people I know, and you're right, a lot of it is just taking that leap. And then, you know, I forget who it was that wrote, maybe Diane Hill, that she didn't even have a business plan. Oh, was yes, it her? Like Chloe Digital. It was Chloe. Okay. And she yeah. wished now that she maybe had gone back and done that. And I think about that with myself. Like I, I have a very successful business. I never wrote a business plan, even to this day. I've been doing this 30 years, but it made me think I should go back and 
do one now to make sure I'm still growing in the way I want. But no matter what you're going to do, like from your mom's business, which you you know, you really, you have a whole chapter in there about, do you want to turn your hobby into a business? And I've worked with lots and lots of people who that's been a big mistake. You have great questions they need to ask themselves, but whether it's something like that, it, you know, it gives you boundaries and it gives you goals. So I actually never wrote a business plan myself. Um, I stumbled into yeah. the blog and things just aligned perfectly. Mm-hmm. I got lucky more than anything else. And I could probably benefit from writing a plan myself. Mm-hmm. Even now, like, you know, where do I see myself in five years? I've been doing this for over a decade. Like, is this what I want to be doing? And interestingly, or something that I didn't expect was like, as I wrote the book, well, I did it ch- chapter by chapter. I had mm-hmm. to relearn a lot of stuff and it was triggering a lot of questions I wanted to ask myself. And then when I went back to reread the edits, I wanted to do the workbook. <laughs> I was like, oh, I should be like answering these questions myself. Like these are things I need to be thinking about. Yeah. Like, do I have another business in me? Is something that I'm doing as a hobby? Do I want to turn it into a business? Like it was making me feel like I needed to sit down and like really brainstorm which I yeah, found it's really funny. inspiring. No, I think that's true. And so I, you know, because the book isn't out yet in print when we're recording this, I read it online and yeah. I want it. Yeah, I'm definitely buying it because I need the workbook too. I think anybody, and don't you think that like most people have these ideas? You talk about that. Let me, let me jump to that question. You write yeah. about when you have an idea, it doesn't have to be perfect to start, but how do you think perfectionism like blocks so many potential entrepreneurs or even people that actually go ahead and do it? I think perfectionism is going to stop anyone in anything. Like mm-hmm. I, it's something I struggle with um, big time and I've had to work through it, but I wouldn't know it's, it's become a blessing. And I've learned that failure is actually a good thing. And I've had to rewrite that story in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I literally started my blog because I had failed a class and I thought the world was ending. And I didn't think, I didn't see how the world would keep going. And looking back and being able to connect the dots, I'm like, I am so glad I failed that first ever test I took in mm-hmm. college because I wouldn't, have been pushed to start my blog and I wouldn't be where I am without it. And I have to go back and remind myself that when I'm afraid to do something or afraid to publish a blog post, because I'm sure that there's grammatical mistakes. I know that there's going to be, you know, things I get wrong along the way, but you can't get to the finish line or towards the finish line. If you're not just putting one foot in front of the other. Yeah. And frankly, that's, it's a, I think I talk about this in the book at some point. I can't remember like which section, but sometimes it's actually nice to start small. Mm-hmm. And I think people think they need to be like jumping out of the gate with, you know, series A funding and they need this and they need an office space and they need this picture perfect branding. You really don't. And mm-hmm. in fact, by not having everything like at full steam ahead, you're able to pivot much quicker when you inevitably run into issues. It's not, you know, it's not an if you run into an issue, it's when. Yeah. And when you're starting off small and you're not putting yourself under so much pressure or taking super intense financial risks, you're able to make those decisions like so much quicker. Um, And so I kind of would repicture this idea of, well, I don't want to make mistakes and I want everything to be right out of the gate. You can re 
tell the story in your head of like, no, actually, like I want to run into issues early and fast because then I can pivot away from them. I personally, I'd much rather figure that out week one or right. when I'm writing out a business plan, eh, this isn't going to work because it's yeah. X or Z. Then when I'm a year in $50,000 in debt with the team of employees that are relying on me for their income. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, perfectionism really is fear. It really is that fear of failure. And I feel it so viscerally, like for me, I sometimes even if I don't understand what's going on, you know, between my ears, essentially, I'll feel it in my gut. And it's like that stage fright feeling or feeling like I'm naked on stage or that I've shown up for a class that I haven't studied for. That's the feeling. And sometimes I'm like, oh, gosh, I have that feeling again. Like, what am I afraid of? And it's like, oh, I'm afraid I'm doing something wrong or I'm afraid I didn't do it right. And it's just it's never as scary as it feels, even if you do end up failing. The yeah. idea of failure is so much scarier than the actual failure. It is because a couple of things. First of all, not that many people are paying attention. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> do fail. And second of all, like you said, the failure sometimes turns into the blessing, like you failing that test with your blog. And I, I remember like getting the idea for the podcast, because that's the most recent like risk I took business wise and thinking like, well, what if nobody listens? What if I yeah. do this and nobody listens? And then I realized nobody will know if nobody listens, but exactly. me. Yep. Nobody can see those numbers. I mean, I share them now because they're good. But and you encouraged me so much. Do you remember that? Like you were yeah. such a cheerleader for me. You're like, just do it. I'm so proud of you. And and agreed to come on very early. And everybody did. And then this just that's where the confidence builds. And it was when I go back and see like our early graphics, or yeah, they were rough. The recording was rough. But if what you're doing, if you're passionate about it and, and it's a good idea, even if it's rough around the edges, it will gain traction. Yeah. And I mean, I, I really think Instagram in this way is bad because I think people look at companies with like perfect Instagram accounts, right? Mm. Like their branding is spot on. They have their hex codes down. They're using universal fonts. They've, they're using gorgeous models and their photographs are insane. It doesn't mean that they're profitable and it doesn't mean that they're successful. And I think people see this like glossy business and assume, assume that they're making millions. Yeah. I can guarantee you they're not. And I I think it it does people a disservice if you're looking at this and thinking, well, I can't do that. It's like, yeah, well, nothing's stopping you. It's intimidating. But don't you think that's changing? And don't you think, like, I think that, yes, a couple years ago, I loved to see those perfectly curated Instagram pages. I don't follow them anymore. And maybe it's just my age and stage of life. But I think people like authenticity now. Yeah. I think that's really I do think, changed. though, like, as a business, if you're if you want to start a business and you're looking at business accounts, yeah. that, like, glossiness can be intimidating. And here's the other thing. Very few people actually do what they say they're going to do. Mm, like I you're right. encourage people to start <laughs> stuff all the time. I'm like, that's a great idea. Like you should do it. I will sit down with anyone I truly. Well, I shouldn't say this because I don't want people <laughs> reaching out to me. I have very limited time right now. But like 
if I end up in a conversation with someone where, you know, they have a business idea, it could be my sister-in-law, mm-hmm. it could be my best friend, it could be someone I'm meeting, you know, in line at Starbucks, and they're telling me about some idea. I'm the first person to like, say, go for it, truly. Mm-hmm. Also, I also can't help myself. Like I, it's almost like word vomit. I just want, I'm like so excited about other people being excited about their ideas that I just go into like, all right, let's plan this out. Like, mm-hmm. what do we need to do to get this off the ground? It is so disappointing to me how few people, and by how few people, I mean, 99% of people, that's it. They don't it's, follow through. Never. And I think mm-hmm. some of that is like fear of like, well, I could never do this. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at them saying like, oh my God, the, if you are passionate about this idea, this could be amazing. Like, let's mm-hmm. figure out how it'll work. And like, it could work. And then it just never goes anywhere. No, I and do you, have a problem when someone keeps bringing it up, you know, every yeah. time I'm with them and I'm like, either do it or don't. But like, yeah. can we stop talking about it if you're not going to do it? You're right. And you know, that was the, when you messaged me after I started the podcast, that was exactly, you said, I'm just so proud that you actually did it because so many people don't follow through. And it was scary at my age too, because I'm not 20 or 30 doing this, you know, but you're right. And I I've seen you give that to other people. I've seen you give that to me and that's really a gift. And that's what this book is doing. But I want to say, I think that some of the fear is a failure, right? And that perfectionism, but sometimes success is the fear too, because people are afraid to work that hard. And it is hard work to run your own business. So I do, I think that is, it's at least the first two chapters, right? Like you could have the best idea in the world. You could have this hobby that you absolutely love. And this happens to my mom all the time, right? Like Mm -hmm. she is a great baker. She loves doing it. And people like me, well-intended mm-hmm. are like, you, you could do this. You could do that. Like, let's raise your prices. Let's get you this. Let's get you in a storefront. And my mom knows herself well enough to know once I do that, it is going to become a real full job. And she's yeah. like, once I do all that, I'm going to be running the books and managing yeah. people and dealing with legal issues. And I'm running payroll. I'm not going to be doing the the stuff I love, which is decorating cake pops and, you know, in the kitchen and baking. And that's a really, it is actually an important thing to know. Like, you know, are you ready or willing or even have the capacity to do the work it's going to take? Because it can be fun. I love what I do. Mm -hmm. I'm so grateful for it. But I think people would be like horrified if they knew like most of what I do during the day. Yeah, all the like emails. Like, I'm like, I'm an e- a professional email, <laughs> emailer and answering questions on DMs. And like the stuff that looks so glamorous is just the tiniest peak of the iceberg. Yeah. And that's what people see. So they assume that that's all of it. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like, I think there is something holding people back, which maybe that's a good gut check, right? Like, maybe you're not yeah. actually ready for the work or have the time. But if you feel like you are, and you're just afraid of what it's going to look like, I'd say go for it. Like yeah. the worst thing is that you're you figure out you don't want to, and that's not quitting. I, I no. I've really I've really changed the way I define quitting. Now I think sometimes we just choose to not do something anymore, and that's usually often a healthy choice for us. Yes, 
quitting sounds like such a horrible negative thing. And I, I think it's like a very American idea, idea, Mm -hmm. right? Like we don't Mm -hmm. quit and it's the American dream and you're going to persevere. Well, you might succeed and push through. You might not find happiness at the end of that rainbow because you're just, you actually went down a path you had no interest in, or you found yourself doing something you don't actually like, even if you're successful at it. Yeah. Uh, That happened to me um, early on in the blog days. I really got into photography. I took a lot of courses in photography and I got pretty good at it. And people started asking me to do photography for them. And so I did, I started a little photography business and I, hated it, Carly. And the whole time I was reading that chapter on, is it a hobby or is it a business? It resonated with me because it took something I loved as a hobby and turned it into something I hated picking up my camera because I hated the billing. I hated like getting the files. I didn't even, the editing was okay, but I didn't love it. And I realized it thankfully very early on, but I could have done really well with it. Like I was booked, but it, it took something that I had previously liked and made it almost, I was almost resentful. And I thought, and you have to check that. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think that happens with a lot of people. I, we talked about this on our first episode of just having like a lot of, um, like haters and trolls and all Mm -hmm. that stuff. People, I get criticized for like, having stopped certain things, whether that's getting Mm -hmm. out of a toxic friendship. I'm like, I don't see that as a bad thing. I'm like, I, that was a positive thing for me. Or, um, you know, trying to start a business and being like very quickly, this isn't for me. I'll give a very concrete example. I had worked with a friend from college who had started a clothing line when we were in school and he wanted me to do like a women's line for him. I, thought, well, this is perfect. Like I do fashion blogging and I think this will be the next big thing. I jumped in a little too quickly because I just quit my job. And I think I was panicked that I wasn't going to be able to like make enough money as a blogger because I had never been a full-time blogger. And I also was embarrassed to be a full-time blogger. In Mm. truth, I think I jumped into this because it felt more legitimate right? Like people shop and know what online shopping is like. So that's what I'm going to do. And I agreed to it. I signed on to this project. I hated it. Mm. I hated everything about it. I didn't like dealing with the garment district in New York City. I didn't like the idea that I was going to have to forecast how many things units to buy. Oh, yeah. And like deal with inventory. Yeah. And then what's the shipping situation? I felt like I was going to throw up every single morning that I woke up. And it took, I think I did it for 10 days. I mean, it was it was a quick mm-hmm. fail. I was like, I am mm-hmm. out. This is not for me. And I, I've stuck with that. Like, even now people are like, Oh, you should start your own this. And I'm like, I know I hate it. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that's really important. And a lot of people think, well, I like, I like clothes. So I'd like having my own clothing line. No, it does not translate. And that's what your workbook, that's why I'm so glad it's not just a book, it's a workbook, because it gets you to journal and think these things through, which I think people need to do. Yeah. And, you know, I hate, I hated like busy work in high school. And Mm -hmm. I think in my head, I associate like workbooks with like, throw away worksheets, right? Yeah. I think in this situation, though, I'm like, no, you really need to actually sit down, like, don't even look at the page and do it in your head. Like, I think you need to sit down with a laptop or an iPad or 
pen and paper yeah. and like mark it up because once you start going, and this is when I was re- previewing, I was like, God, I need to print this out. Like I want to be filling this out for my own business, not even as like the right yeah, author yeah. of the book. But it's so important to like put the pen to paper and really, really work through the stuff. And it's gonna yeah. save you in the end. Um and I you might so even too. find something else along the way. Yeah. And to me, so I would in my head, and I just use the word, I think it was more like journaling than yeah. sort of like, oh, well, like, cause I have the same thing. I went to Catholic school. We did worksheets and work right? all the time. Yeah. And they were drudgery. This is not, this is more like journaling. I want to switch gears. Cause one of okay. the things you write out and you write about in the book is burnout. And I think just like I said, I think authenticity is something we're craving in these last couple years um, with just the whole world situation. And I think burnout is something that people really kind of opened their eyes to during COVID as well. And there's this expectation that we always need to be working. We always need to be hustling. And why do you think this is portrayed such as a badge of honor? And can you suggest some tips for maintaining balance? And like, you're having to do that right now, having a two month old baby, but you can't really stop working entirely when you're in the kind of work that you're in how how do you how do you kind of I don't know make peace with that so I will say I think I think there's this idea that even if you do everything perfect or if you do everything perfectly right so the whole second half of my book is all about like mindfulness like what's your exercise routine like how well not even exercise how are you moving throughout the day yeah what how are you fueling your body are you meditating? Like, what's your release? What's your support system? Um, even if you have all those things lined up, and even if you're consciously working towards that on a daily basis, burnout can still happen. Mm, um, say that think, again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I faced that myself recently when I had my son because I, I, now I knew the first half of the year had been very intense for me. I was pregnant, which was very challenging. Um, the pregnancy was more challenging to me than motherhood so far, at least. And I was writing this book. I was running a business dealing with the pandemic, but like, I kind of got to the end of it. Like I turned my book in and then the summer was a little bit slower as it always is for my blog. And I thought I survived it. Like, that's great. I took time, some time off after I gave birth. And it was during those time, that week, two week, three week period where I wasn't working that I realized how burnt out I had actually become. Mm. And I, I had this like moment of clarity of being like, Oh my God, like I finally have ideas again. And it was like, I didn't realize how dark it had gotten until Mm. all of a sudden I was seeing the light again. I was like, Oh my God, you know, I didn't realize I had gotten so burnt out. Like I didn't have ideas. I wasn't excited about what I was doing. I was just kind of running through the motions Mm -hmm. and taking those three weeks off open my eyes to, Oh gosh, this is what it it feels like again. Or this is what it feels like to be excited about something again. Um, which I wasn't expecting Yeah, for many, I didn't realize I was burnt out. And I also didn't realize I didn't expect to like be excited about work after having a baby. I thought I was just going to like want to stop everything, frankly. Um, but it made me excited to do both. Um, but yeah, burnout is real. And I, I think it kind of actually goes back to this idea of quitting. Like people don't want to quit. And mm-hmm. at least for me, like I grew up in the nineties 
yeah, we got participation trophies and whatever, but like we were rewarded for everything. So it was, do you have perfect attendance? Which I think you should get away. People should do away with. I had perfect attendance and I think it, I never took a mental health day. Like I went to school every day, even if I was Mm -hmm. sick and on a, you know, with just terrible sinus infection, probably getting everyone else sick at school just for that perfect attendance trophy at the end of the year. Yeah not the end of the year, I did it from second grade to my senior year of high school. I feel like there's this like, let's pat each other on the back just for the hard work. And I think hard work is great and work ethic is great, but there's more to it. And I don't think people should be rewarded just for running as fast as they can on a hamster wheel. Like that's not, you know, the, the the prize shouldn't be just for the work you put in because frankly you might not actually be putting out good work you might not be working towards something positive and I think we just need to rethink like how we define success and how we reward other people and compliment people and you know do you think highly of someone just because they run a successful business? Like there's more to life. And I, yeah, I think we've gotten stuck in this trap of like seeing hard work is the end all be all. Yeah, I think so too. And I think that, you know, when you talked about, you finally had ideas again, I've written about this recently um, that like, where I, I'm t- trying to encourage people to think about when and where they get their good ideas and that they yes. should be doing more of that. And I know yes. for me, I realized during COVID when I was working really hard because the mental health industry just exploded. Oh yeah. I can't imagine. And you know, you feel so bad turning people away who need help. So I would just squeeze in, you know, extra people, And then I was trying to generate content, which you're very familiar with, but I had not because I had only had a personal Instagram. I hadn't had a business one until last year. And to come up with something profound or interesting every day, I I couldn't do it. And you know, when I did it was when I took time off, when I sat on my front porch for two hours with a cup of coffee, all of a sudden... I would be flooded or when I would walk out in nature and not listen to a podcast, just walk. I would want, I'd be, I'd be taking out my phone and writing notes constantly because the ideas just came and came and came and, or in the shower. I Carly, I want to put a whiteboard in my shower. I know. That's where I do my best thinking. Yep. (laughs) There are whiteboards you can get for your shower. I think Harry just writes on the glass. He has like those, um, you know, those like dry erase markers oh, and yeah. he just, and then they wipe right off. He would write all over his college um, apartment window and yeah. it wipes off. But uh, because I, I realize it is only when you relax, I, I don't know only, I guess psychologically I, there, I don't know any data, but my observation is it's when your body's really, truly relaxed yeah. that you can be creative I also think you have to live your life to have good ideas. Like, yeah. how can you know what problems need to be solved from a business perspective if you're, you're not living out in the world? Like, you're right. I think that's a huge part of it. Like, for me, it feels like I feel guilty. I have to work through my guilt, honestly, of like, I still feel like I need to be working all the time. And I have to remind myself, like, actually, when I'm, you know, watching youtube which feels such like a passive thing i'm actually learning a lot of stuff like what are people talking about what things are issues are people going through 
when I'm sitting down with my friends to have coffee, mm-hmm. I'm thinking about, you know, first of all, I'm having human connection, which is important for myself. But then at the end of the day, I'm like also having meaningful conversations that I can use as like content generation and yeah. ideas for my blog to connect with people, which is important to me and, a, and, a, and an important part of my business. It feels like when I take a break for lunch that I'm not working. When in reality, when I come back from that lunch break, when I did 30 minutes of something completely unrelated to my blog, I actually come back feeling so much better. And the next two hours are going to be so much more effective just from taking 30 minutes off. Yeah. And we need to rewire our brains to say, you know, we need to take this time outside of work because it makes our work better. It makes our work more meaningful. It gives us better purpose. One of the quotes I used in the book is actually from my um, father-in-law had told me. Oh yeah. I remember this. Yeah. And I think about it all the time. It's, I can't remember who it was and I had originally gotten it wrong and then he corrected me, but it was, I can do in 11 months what I can't do in 12. Mm -hmm. And I thought, God, that's so brilliant. Like if you spin your wheels for an entire year without taking a single day off, sure, you worked more hours, like what was your output versus taking time, whether that's one week every quarter or taking a full month off in the summer, like it just better prepares you. You're a better person. You're happier. You're healthier. You sleep better. It doesn't, to me, it's like, well, I don't care if I worked eight hours or four hours, like what's the end product. And what I turned out during four hours is usually better than what I would do if I was just toiling away for eight (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's, everybody has to really examine where those breaks are. Like for that person, it was taking a month off a year. For me, what I've started doing was, um, because I was getting serious, serious burnout, um, from just seeing clients, like from the moment I woke up until Kate came home and then working on the podcast and Instagram all night, I wasn't reading, I wasn't watching TV. I wasn't hanging out with my husband. I wasn't hang out with friends and it was COVID. So it felt like none of that was available, but I shifted to where my heavy client days, I see clients like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then Thursday, I do stuff like this. I record a podcast. Yeah. I have a doctor's appointment. I might go to Trader Joe's. I might have one or two clients Thursdays or Fridays, but it's mostly like, those are really light days for me. And man, my mental health got so much better. Um, and I talk about that in the book when there's a whole chapter on like planning your day. Yeah. And a big part of that is like getting rid of this idea. Now, obviously some jobs require certain schedules. Of course, like, of course. A lot of them don't. And I think people have learned that with COVID, honestly, with yeah. a lot of people are working from home of like, wait a minute. So you're telling me if I, I'm actually, I work better at 11 PM yeah. than at 7 AM. So I should do all this other stuff at 7 AM work later or whatever it might be for you. But, you know, I realized because of what I do, it's constantly feeding the system of like Instagram and social media and like being on all the time that just, I have been better about taking weekends off. So I'm on more of a regular Mm -hmm. schedule, especially with my husband who works Monday through Friday, but I still work. Even if I take Saturday and Sunday off Saturday, I feel like I'm recovering from the week. Mm-hmm. And Sunday I'm preparing for the week, yeah. which is great. But like my brain is still going. And I realized, especially when I took the maternity leave, I'd be better off 
additionally taking a week off every quarter yeah. and just not posting and letting myself kind of take a full week to relax and go somewhere or travel that isn't related yeah. to work and not feeling like I need to capture content and take photos of everything and document everything. And that was an important realization that I'm going to be taking with me. Yeah. I will have yeah. to remind myself because I'm sure I will forget and I'm sure I will, you know, have that like panic feeling of, oh God, I need to be working hard. I'm not working hard. And the hard world enough. doesn't end and you don't no. lose tons of followers. No. Yeah. I actually think people like respect it more. Like mm-hmm. yeah, there's gonna be people who are gonna point and say, like, you don't even have a real job. So like what kind of break do you need? Which whatever. It doesn't change the fact that I do have a real job and still need a break. Um but being like a good example of that and saying, no, it's healthy to take a step back. And, mm-hmm. you know, I hope this is like a, a COVID thing, but I genuinely hope people realize like how unhealthy mentally and physically and community wise it is to go to work when you're sick. Yeah, I, like, I think <laughs> I think there's been a shift in all of this thinking. And I don't know, maybe I am in a bubble because of the work I do. But I do think there's a shift in I think the last year and a half has really made people examine their values and examine what's important in life. And I hope it sticks. I hope, I I I know it has for me, I definitely know. And, and like you, I mean, when I was, and I am building my page right now, but I was thinking I have to post seven days a week, something brilliant, (laughs) something that people are going to like great parenting advice or great relationship advice. And I've started, I do not post on Saturdays and Sundays. I mean, I might promote the podcast in my stories, but I don't put up a post. And man, to have a weekend back and to not even, i you know what, honestly, on the weekends, most weekends, I don't even look at Instagram. Yeah. And it's, I think it's you feel healthy. so much better. You feel so much better. And it, when you think about how stupid it is. Harry, who I've mentioned already, who's my entrepreneur, my middle son, he just deleted Instagram and he'll do this. He he just launched a brand new business, um, a marketing, gosh, oh, I don't know what it is, market share, where he like vets um, copywriters and marketers and media buyers and then big companies will freelance hire them. So, oh, wow. Like yeah. Recruiting kind of. Yeah. Yes, kind of. But, you know, it's it's. Uh, oh, he's going to kill me because I can't think of the name of it right now. But anyway, he's doing really well, but it just launched this week. And so he deletes Instagram to, because he knows he's going to be working a lot and he wants to focus on having like a life aside from like when he's working, he's working. And then when he's living, he's living that he's not on uh, and his job is marketing and media. So it's really hard to step away, but I've always admired how he can really cut that boundary. And I think the people that do that in the long run, well, that whole thing of work smarter, not harder. That's what he does. And that's what you're doing. And one thing that I, you know, I keep thinking about this one example, and maybe it's because I'm a new mom. But one of the things I talk about in the book is figuring out what your non-negotiables are Mm -hmm. in terms of your life. And it, it can be weird stuff. Like, maybe you always want to be able to clean your house because that's like a relaxing thing for you. Mm -hmm. And so that means whatever that looks like for you, like maybe that's your Sunday afternoons are completely clear of all activity, work, life, you know, whatever. And that's going to be your four hours when you're just 
scrubbing and deep cleaning. I mean, I Mm -hmm. find it personally sometimes therapeutic, but it wouldn't be my choice, but that could be Mm -hmm. like someone's outlet. Or if you're non-negotiable is that you want to be able to pick your kid up from school every single day. Mm -hmm. That needs to be on your calendar every single day Mm -hmm. and block it off. Now that, you know, often it is a trade-off. So you might be working for an hour after your kids go to to bed, but like, Mm -hmm. What is, what are your non-negotiables and write them down and schedule them in and figure out a way to make those work because like life is so short. And again, I think it's the mom thing in me. I'm like, what are the yeah. things I don't want to give up? Yeah. Like what are things I can't give up? And it doesn't matter how much money I make or whatever. Like I want to always do this and that. And those are just important things to journal about and to think about and you know, what can you give up? What, and sometimes it might be like fun stuff. Like maybe it's that you have to delete TikTok because you've spent an hour every yeah. day scrolling through it. It might feel mindless and like a relaxing moment, but you know, do you actually feel like energized when you delete the app mm-hmm. or, you know, sign out of the app for the day or whatever it is? And could you actually replace that with sitting down with your husband for breakfast every morning before he goes to work? Like, you know, what's the trade-off? What things can you live without? What things can't you live without? And how can you work that into your schedule and your work schedule? And your, especially as an entrepreneur, like there's always going to be more stuff to do. Right. I think it's important to like carve out time for the things you never, you don't want to compromise on. Yeah. You know what? Um, I, that made me think of two things I want to add. When when Harry, I said, oh, don't delete your Instagram because he's traveling all over Mexico right now for like he's living there. He's been there for That's a couple awesome. months. He's in was in Tulum and then um, Playa del Carmen this month. And he's gone to Meridia next month. And I said, I like seeing what you're doing. He's like diving in caves and all this stuff. And he goes, mom, I don't want to get my dopamine hit and validation from 300 likes. Or he said, I want to get it from a hard workout or a business success or that great hike or that great swim. He goes, he said, you know, social media gives us these falls validations and dopamine hits. And I want to get that from life, which I love. And that's what we need to get that from work, get that from life. We don't need to be getting that by being online. But the other thing is when you talked about the non-negotiables, I wanted to add one thing is don't let other people talk you out of them because that happens. Like when you said the one about picking the kids up from school, that's always been one for me. Like as a therapist, I, my last client of the day ends at three because I pick Kate up every day from school. And I've had so many clients who are like, can't just, just, can't you just see me on Wednesdays at three? Can't you just, or my husband has even said, you know how much money you're losing? You could pay someone to bring Kate home, um, would be by not getting those clients every day, but I, it is not worth it to me. And I'm not going to let someone talk me into it. And people will do that. People will say, but you could be here if you gave that up and you have to know yourself and not be influenced by other people's judgment. Exactly. And that actually, I talk about that too, of, you know, not letting other people like burst your bubble with your idea if it's something you're really passionate about like you know surround yourself by people that you're going to trust but also know at the end of the day you have to trust yourself um I think people are well-meaning yeah but and you just have to be so confident in yourself with your business and your personal life and if you don't protect that 
no one's protecting it. Like, You're right. you, you know, as an adult, like obviously children, like we have the responsibility to like help them figure this out and along the way, but like life is hard and no one's really going to be looking out for you the way you can look out for you. And yeah. sometimes you have to put yourself first and it sounds so selfish to say, but the reality is like, if you're not putting yourself first and if you're not in a good position, you can't lead a company. That's you right. can't be a good manager. You can't run a good business. You can't be a good customer service person when you're responding on Instagram. I know I'm short and snippy and get frustrated the most when I'm, when I've put everything else ahead of myself. And yeah. Yeah. I'm the best and happiest when I'm like, I'm not, I'm going to work six good hours today. Yeah. It's not going to be an eight hour day. It's not going to be a 10 hour day, but those six hours I'm going to dedicate. And then outside of those six hours, I'm going to read, I'm going to spend time with my husband. I'm going to care for my child and walk my dogs and do stuff that like fills my cup. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I want to ask you two quick things before we wrap okay. up. There's there's a section on social good in the book, which I was so happy to see. And I love this part of, of businesses that I'm seeing so much more of. Um, can you just talk about that just for a minute or two of what, what do you mean by social good and why it's an important part of business? Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely become trendy, right? Like mm -hmm. Tom's shoes, we're going to sell a shoe and we're going to donate a shoe. Yeah. And I think people kind of got it in their head that that's the only way it's going to work. Um, but there is a win, win, win when it's involving with social good. And it's actually, I have personally felt this like as I've gotten older and in the business longer, like I feel like it is my responsibility to be a good role model online and to talk about things that I think are just more important than just what the new arrivals are at J. Crew. Don't get me yeah. wrong. Love the new arrivals at J. Crew, yeah. <laughs> but I also really like helping people and talking about my own experiencing experiences with anxiety. And I think as much as people also like seeing when J. Crew is having a sale, it's the posts that are more meaningful that make the bigger difference at the end of the day. Yeah. It's a win-win. And I talk about a couple of companies who, you know, have thought strategically about how they can better their business. Oftentimes the materials, for example, if you're making a shirt from recycled materials, it might be less expensive than um, other materials. So you you can make more money, but you're also solving another issue at the same time. And yeah. your customer can make that informed choice. And I think people are just getting smarter and want to put their money behind brands that are doing more than just consumer goods or just... Yeah services like they want more from that and it doesn't have to mean that you're giving up your bottom line for that and you don't have to be a nonprofit to be that right you can make money you can make more money you can reach more audiences and i think and tie it back to like your overall mission of like what your company is i do think it needs to make sense for your company like yeah it wouldn't make sense for me to donate a pair of eyeglasses to someone in need, right? Like that's what Warby Parker does. It works for yeah. them. They're selling eyeglasses. Um, but like, you know, what's your core mission? What's important? Think about the story of your business. How did it start? Is there something in your life that, um, you know, led you to start your business and how can you go back and, and 
incorporate that and fold that in? And strategically, how can you be a better business for that with that involved? Yeah. And you're right. It is win, win, win. It makes you feel good. It helps the world. And it also makes your consumer um, feel good about patronizing your business. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's really great. So what was your favorite part of this process or what did you learn about yourself doing this? It was so much harder than I was expecting. Um, I write all the time. Yeah. But I also am like writing like short things that are in their own columns. And Mm -hmm. once I write one thing, I'm kind of moving on to the next. And this was a much more challenging thing because it had to be cohesive. It was also going to be read by other people and which has been very terrifying for me. Like I'm scared that other people, that people are going to be reading it and I can't just go back into a WordPress and like edit something out or add a lot more stuff and have people just forget about it. Like that scares me. Um, but I will say the biggest thing was like, Oh, there were points when I was writing this book where I didn't think I was going to be able to do it. And like, I had to get a hotel room for two nights at one Mm -hmm. point because I was so behind. I was so sick. I was stressed and I just needed to like hold myself up. Mm -hmm. And every day I was like, I just need to chip away, do a little bit more, break it down into smaller pieces. Like, you know, how can I do this? How can I do this? And it was a very, very tight timeline, like between when I signed the the deal in November, I think it was November. And then the table of contents was due at the new year, which was the hardest part because it's basically mapping out the book. Right. Right. Um, and I had repitched some things to the publisher that had to get like, you know, approved because I have now working with other people. It's not just me. Yeah. Which was hard. And I'm used to just like, if I want to do it, I can do it. And I'm like, no, like, can we do name it this? And what is the cover going to look like? And, but then the book was due at the end of April. Like it was four months of writing. Wow. And looking back and especially when I got the first full PDF of like every page laid out, and seeing it all at once and reading it. Cause I also feel mm-hmm. like I had memory loss of like, well, what the heck did I write? Yeah, I don't right. yeah. remember. <laughs> and like, is this going to work? Because I'd broken it up into such small chunks. I was like, I don't know if this is going to flow or like, is this going to make sense? And seeing it all at once, like, and maybe this is going to sound cocky, but I feel like people should be proud of themselves. Like I was so proud of it. And I thought, oh my gosh, like, I can't believe I did this. Like mm-hmm. I can, I was capable of so much more than I thought. And yeah, at the beginning, I didn't think it was going to be as hard. It became very apparent that it was going to be a, a major challenge, especially when I found out I was pregnant and was dealing with the morning sickness stuff. I, but then seeing it all together, I was just like, oh, wow, you did this. Like it came mm-hmm. together and I should be proud of this. And I felt, yeah, even though I'm scared of other people reading it, like I do feel proud of it. Like yeah. something I'm proud of. Well, you should, because we talked in the beginning about people having an idea and the thing that bothers you the most is if they don't know, attack it, right. they don't follow it. And you did, you had these ideas and you followed through. So no matter what happens, it's a success because you did it. 
you finished it. And I've read it and it's great. And it's called Thank Business Minded, a guide to setting up your mind, body and business for success. And so congratulations, Carly. Thank I'm you. so happy for you. Tell people real quickly where they can find you. Everybody knows you, but on social media and uh, they can pre-order the book now. Yep. So you can find me at, at Carly on Instagram. It's just my first name. And I have my blog. It's carlyreardon.com. Um, I've just gotten into TikTok. You can find me on there too, carlyareardon.com mm-hmm. or carlyareardon. And then you can pre-order my book anywhere you buy books. Um, and you can also request if you have like an indie bookshop yeah. nearby or a bookseller that you really enjoy frequenting, you can actually request that they purchase the book too, which is always exciting. Yeah. Well, congratulations. And thank Thank you you. so much for your time. And um, just enjoy this time with your husband and with baby Jack. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Connecting with Dr. Kim Swales. Hopefully, you've heard something that will help you as you continue to navigate the connections in your everyday relationships. If you'd like to connect with me on Instagram, you can follow me at Dr. Kim Swales or check out my website, www.kimswales.com. I'd also love if you would click subscribe and leave a positive review or a five-star rating for the podcast, as well as share it with your friends and family. The material in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. If you are in need of medical or psychological counsel, please seek a licensed professional in your area.